0: Hello and welcome to Joshua Space, a podcast where I talk about all things books. In this episode, I get to interview Jennifer Brody, a.k.a. Vera Strange. She's the author of the Disney Chills series as well as a short story about Darth Vader included in the anthology Star Wars Stories of Jedi and Sith. Before we tune in to the interview with Vera Strange, I do want to mention that if you wish to support me in this podcast in any way, you can do so by ordering Vera Strange's novels, through my bookshop.org website, as well as joining my Patreon. With all that being said, let's tune into this interview. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining this episode.
1: Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. Before we get started with the official interview, I wanted to ask a little bit about your pen name, because I know your name is Jennifer Brody, but your pen name is Vera Strange. How did that come about?
1: I love my pen name. I love being Vera Strange. I love signing as Vera Strange. I love using the name in my writing. And it came about when I started working on creating Disney chills for Disney books and it's a new brand and book series, and it's targeted at middle grade readers, so yes, a ton of the readers are adults, because as we know, Disney has a huge fandom that spans all age ranges, as it should, but the books are specifically middle grade, which means they're targeted at 8 to 12 year old readers, and one of the things I love about this age of reader is you can still kind of believe in things, and the series is spooky, it is a horror series at heart, it is like Goose Bumps, and we liked the idea of the kids being like, Who wrote this dark and creepy book that's keeping me up at night and creating this sort of aura around Disney chills that was spooky? So, we came up with the idea of doing a pen name for the kids to wonder who wrote these books, and it was a brainstorming thing. We went back and forth on different names and different ideas for what it could be. I think at one point it was going to be WD Strange for like Walt Disney Strange, but of course, I'm a girl of sorts. (laughs) And I don't know, it just seemed like it might be fun to have that representation. So somehow along the way, we settled on Vera Strange, which just felt right. And it's been so delightful and fun. I love being her, you know, when people write to me, I go, I hope you enjoy the nightmares or happy nightmares. Or I, I like to pretend that like I enjoy scaring kids. So it's kind of a fun persona for me <laughs> to have. And um, it's fun because Vera Strange has spanned beyond just Disney, as you know, cause we met at Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. I wrote the Darth Vader story for the new anthology Stories of Jedi and Sith from Lucasfilm. And we put that under the same name. So, I actually intend in the future that more of my work will probably go under my pen name. And part of it is just because I absolutely love my pen name. I always, my whole life, have felt like I had a really boring name, Uh, like very generic. I think Jennifer was the number one girl's name my birth year. And my parents totally thought they were being original. Like, we thought we were being original because we didn't know anyone named Jennifer. And then, newsflash number one name. So my whole life, my college roommate was also named Jennifer at Harvard. I've had so many Jennifers. It's the Jennifer Jessica era of baby naming. Yeah. So I've always kind of been like, I don't like my name. I wish I had a unique and original name. But I also know people have unique and original names They're like I wish my parents just give me a boring name because my whole life has been a nightmare trying to spell it or get it pronounced right in class. So I guess it goes grass is greener. But yep. yeah, my pen name is my favorite. And I kind of like having a little bit of a veil between me and who I am as a person and what I write because I don't write anything like memoir or anything real world. I write very epic fantasy, sci-fi, spooky. So I kind of like creating a, a veil between me and, and the fiction I write.
0: That's awesome. So how long have you been writing for then?
1: I didn't start writing seriously until I was 28 years old, okay. especially prose and fiction. I have always been a huge reader which I guess should have been a clue I was an obsessive reader as a kid I could read a book a day and I grew up in a small town where I didn't always feel I fit in for a lot of reasons and so fiction was really my lifeline like reading gave me a a way to see different worlds different parts of life and escape a lot so my nose was always in a book and I think part of why I didn't know I could become a writer is I just didn't know that was a thing you could do because most of the writers, authors I was aware of at that age were like old white dudes. And like, it just seemed to me, didn't seem like something that a normal person like me, a little girl in a small town could aspire to be. And that is a lot of what you read coming up in school. You know, it's like the Hemingway kind of stuff. And I just couldn't relate to that. And this is before the explosion of young adult literature, right? So a lot of what was, being published or that we were exposed to wasn't the kind of stuff I would have wanted to write about anyway. And so somehow I latched down to the idea that I could be a filmmaker. I wanted to be a movie director. And it is specifically, I was also, as much as I was obsessed with books, I was always obsessed with film and television. And I'm continued to this day to be a huge fan. And the whole first part of my career was spent working in Hollywood for these reasons. And it was John Singleton who directed Boys in the Hood. Somehow I, well, I loved the film. I mean, who didn't? The film is triumphantly great. And what it was, I think I saw an interview with John and he's just such a talent, but he kind of gave me the idea that if he could do this thing, this guy who came from nothing, who came up and ended up telling his story and this incredible story, that anybody could do it, that it was possible. So, John Singleton, somehow I got the idea that anything was possible and felt, and you could be a film director. So that's what I, I latched onto. And then I went to college, I went to Harvard, but I studied film and art and ended up interning at Disney. When I was in college for a producer on the lot and we were making a little indie film that was shot in L.A., five million dollar movie called Donnie Darko. And this would become a big cult movie. But at the time, we didn't know what it was going to become. It was one of Jake Gyllenhaal's big star making roles. But he was so young. Everyone involved was really young. And it was really fun for me to be involved on a ground level with that movie. And uh, we also made a film called Disney's the Kid, a little remembered Bruce Willis film that you should go watch because it's super good that John Turtletob directed. And they got together premiere at Disneyland. And I was such a film nerd, I just loved it. Like Michael Mann would call the office, he's one of my favorite directors, because my boss had made Last Mohicans, which you know, Michael directed. Um, this is right as the sixth sense had come out and M night was right upstairs with his fancy office paid for by probably how much money he made off that film. So I was just like, that's it. I'm moving to LA I'm and start working in Hollywood. And I did and I was the first hire at Platinum Dunes, Michael Bay's new genre company on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes. I started working with Leatherface at that point. Um, but it wasn't a great place to be a young woman because as much as I was like, oh, anyone can be a film director as soon as I got to Hollywood, I was like, yeah, no women do this <laughs> to God yeah, zero women direct movies I think it's more like 4% it was better in the 80s than it is now it's actually abysmal and it's a huge problem and it's the same, and even in writing I think it's like think 18% of feature films are written by women, even though we're over half of the movie going population it's a little better in TV and I say a little, not a lot yeah but especially in directing, it's pretty abysmal. So I didn't have any mentors. So that's why I went more into producing and development on the studio side because I didn't see a path to directing. I still want to direct maybe at some point. But anyways, I ended up working for my dream job, which was sort for Mark Rodeski at New Line because Fellowship of the Ring had opened and I was a huge Tolkien fan. And I'd seen the movie and I pretty much thought it was one of the single greatest movies of all time, which I still actually believe It was mind-blowingly good. So I was like, my dream job is to work for this guy, Mark Badesky, who made this movie because it's so effing good. And so I somehow got my way into New Line and ended up being able to work as a second assistant and then moved up to first and this and that. So I worked for Mark between the ages of 21 and 25 or so, 26, all the way to the end of Return of the King coming out. We did a lot of book to film, worked with Philip Pullman on Golden Compass. I had a project with Neil Gaiman, a Sandman thing. And all kinds of other stuff. And so I kept working, but Hollywood's fairly toxic for women. Um, It's gotten a little better, but all I'll say is the last movie I produced was for a guy who's in prison now named Harvey Weinstein. So, yeah, you don't have to take my word for it. It's true. So I kind of was tired of working in-house for some of these folks, not Mark. Mark is amazing and delightful and wonderful person, and we have a great relationships still. So it's not everyone. Um, yeah. But I also got to a point where I wanted to tell my own stories. So I just started teaching myself how to write, and I wanted to write books and not scripts primarily because I was really interested in bigger world building stuff. Um, but it probably wouldn't be easier if I just wanted to write scripts, but so I just was like, all right, I have to learn this whole new thing. And I've never really taken a writing class when I'm a big reader and I know what I love. And so I was just like, if it doesn't work and enough people tell me it's not good, that's fine. I can just go get a job. I mean, anyone can always do that. And along the way, enough people believed in me and I ended up selling the 13th Continuum into a trilogy series, which I'm very proud of. That's my debut, it's YA, but crossover. And it's just kept going from there. So I didn't start writing seriously till I was 28 and my first book published when I was 35. So I always like to put that out there to say, you know, it doesn't mean you have to have done this thing because I just legitimately had no idea that this is something I wanted to do or even something that I could do. So-
0: So, the first book that you ever finished writing, did that get published?
1: Mm-mm, sure did not.
0: <laughs> Wait, I, might,
1: I might put it out. Actually, there's been some interest recircling. There's a new platform on Amazon called Kindle Vella that I kind of like because I've always been into serialized publishing, and that manuscript has always had a lot of fans. So, I might put it out. It's a totally different arena, though. It's more like an adult fiction rom com, for lack of anything, it's contemporary fiction. So no, it didn't, but you know, it, it landed me a big agent. So oh. it's a book that a lot of people loved. And that I spent time writing. It's my burned out Hollywood book, to be honest. And, uh, my dream agent signed me based on it. And she's still my agent today. That's Deborah Schneider. And she's a big old fancy agent in New York. And I never thought she'd take a shot on me, but she loved it. And when she signed me though, she did warn me that it was going to be hard to sell because this was a moment in time, I would say about 10 years ago where nobody wanted stuff with women in it. Yay, my life is fun. Um, so uh, they, they, I was told it was women's fiction. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm a lady. And I wrote a book with a lady in it. But I thought it was just fiction. What do you mean I, it's women's fiction? What the heck is that, right? And yeah. then um, I would get passes from publishers like, uh, this needs more romance and more beaches in it. It will stress women out to read about a woman with a job. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Are we in like the 18th century? I was like, was it going to give them the vapors? So that was very demoralizing on a certain level. Um, And then at the same time, I had a script that had a lot of popularity amongst people in Hollywood. It was also a rom-com, but it was when the head of Warner Brothers had said specifically he wouldn't greenlight a movie with a female lead. Mm. And I was told in very high level meetings and unless it had a male co-lead, that it was a non-starter for the studios and i was like but this is a rom-com this is the arena of the female protagonists historically that this has always been what do you mean it has to have a dude in the lead and there is a love interest to be fair in both of these stories there is that aspect i tend to write female characters though where their lives are not centered around the guy yeah They have that part of their life and, you know, that exists and there's romance, but they don't recenter or change their lives purely over romantic relationships. Um, And I think that was a little out of step with what was going on in terms of what was being published or made, unfortunately, because I, to this day, still write the same kind of characters. I actually tend to write guys who I tend to flip the trope where they're like, oh, I can't live without this girl. I can't function. And the girl's like, yeah, you're cool and all, but I got to go save the world. But, you know, I like you. You're pretty awesome. The guy's like, what? I can't function, you know, which is a turn on the trope that I'm sort of discussing. I kind of like doing that kind of stuff and shining a light on it because I think it's funny, but also instructive. So anyways, that book did not sell to a publisher, but it has been well loved. I still get asked about it sometimes. And for fun, I might go ahead and just throw it out on a serialized publishing platform because it's a fun read just to do it why not and it is very different from what I ended up read writing later and I think after all of that stuff I went through I was like screw it I'm just writing hardcore genre forget you all you know <laughs> I'm just gonna write sci-fi which is what I'd been wanting to write and I'm glad that my second book what was 13th continuum because I don't think I was a strong enough writer to pull off what I did in that series because it is a huge epic universe it is multiple point of view it has a big world build. And I think I needed to get better as a writer so I'm really proud of that series and once I started writing genre stuff like fantasy sci-fi horror I'm like I'm never going back it's my favorite stuff anyway it's always been my favorite to read my favorite to watch so it's very fitting but I always try to tell people, they don't always believe me. I'm like, I can write anything. I really can. <laughs> you know, it depends on what I want to write. And they're like, because people like to put you in a box. But I'm like, no, I can write female characters, male characters, aliens, animals, doesn't matter. And I can write any genre, you know.
0: That's awesome. So when it comes to writing, are you more, do you plan? Like, do you plan out the whole novel? Are you more of a pantser? Or are you a little bit of both?
1: I really recommend against pantsing, which is a strange thing that a lot of authors think is how you write books. And a lot of people who want, aspire to write, think is how you write. And inevitably, yes, there are pantsers. Stephen King is famously a pantser. But I try to explain to people, like in his early writing, it got him into trouble a lot. He almost threw the stand away. But how many books has this guy written? He's a storyteller. The guy just knows how to tell a story. Like he just does it in his head. He says he doesn't, but it's in his head. He's a storyteller. He just kind of knows how to do it and what does he always get criticized on the most and across everything he's ever written do you know what it is his I ending know. he always he even makes fun of himself in a meta way in it part two because you know there's that writer where they're like you can't end a book you don't know how to end it you have to change the ending for the movie that's Stephen king poking fun at himself because that's the thing that he always gets criticized on and the reason is the pantsing thing so I really recommend um, a beat sheet in the earlier phases of your writing, which is what I'll use. And I teach the eight points of novel structure when I teach writing workshops. But because of my background in Hollywood, if you learn screenwriting, the first thing you learn is story structure. Yeah. There is a way to tell a story and that way will always work. That's why I tell my students.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because yeah. that's one of my favorite questions to ask in like on my podcast when I interview an author is like, are you a pantser? Are you a planner? Are you both? How does that process work for you? And mm-hmm. I find it interesting because everyone's different. And mm-hmm. I think the key theme that I've seen so far is a lot of people tend to say, well, the first book I wrote, I pantsed it. And then after that, I had a plan." And oh, even people who are planners, they still pants certain things because a character will surprise you sometimes like you just don't know what's going to happen.
1: To some degree, things definitely will come out of the writing. Um, I think, yes, inevitably, there are pants. This is the number one thing we get asked on panels. What I will say is the people I know personally who do this. Have a lot of uh, pain. That means whole drafts that are thrown out, things we call developmental, editorial passes, which you really don't want to have to do. And there's also this phenomenon, I'm sure you've seen it, where someone wrote a great book and then vanished off the face of the earth and never wrote something else. And we could say this about songs too. And it's because they didn't have a fundamental craft practice to fall down on. So basically, they somehow did a thing and the thing worked amazingly. But when they have to do another thing and suddenly on deadline and with pressure, they don't know how they did the first thing. So they don't know how to replicate it or do it again. So they don't have a craft practice to fall back on. So what you're saying that someone had to go back and learn that makes sense for me. I will tell you that to pull off what I have with the deadlines I have, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to do it. It just wouldn't be possible. Yeah. So at this phase of my work, I do incredibly detailed outlines, but I didn't do them in the beginning. And I don't know that I could have done it and pulled it off to that level. Um, but part of this is when you start working with brands and IP is that like, you know, with Disney, I got to go through five five different departments for my approvals you know Lucasfilm Star Wars is the same thing I would be very shocked to learn that anyone working in any IP isn't really planning to great detail because part of it is when you're writing canon my Vader story is canon yeah. you know you have There's to be on a lot team.
0: of fact checking <laughs>
1: Well, there is, and there's stuff that you know. So even if you did all your research, you don't know what's in the works behind the scenes. It's impossible. And they hold their cards very close to their chest. This is Disney as well. And so you don't know everything else that's going on. So it's actually impossible for you to even guess to a certain level. So you really need everyone on the same page and those approvals to go through. So I would say anyone who's able to do the kind of stuff that I do, I would be very shocked to learn they quote unquote pants Yeah, I think anyone who has a long, sustained career um, is absolutely planning. Now, to what level and what degree of detail, I can't say. But I am a huge advocate of at least knowing the basic foundations of storytelling. And then, you know, you do your own thing with it, of course. But it's this archetype, Joseph Campbell stuff is what we're really talking about here. And I always tell people, Joseph Campbell himself personally consulted on Star Wars. That's why Star Wars hangs on. It's not the effects or the characters. Yes, the dialogue. It's so stilted, please. It's the Joseph Campbell of it all. Those big mythological archetypes. And they really work. And they've been told and retold. We we do this all the time. The hero's journey, right? So, you know, it's really worth learning that stuff. I think no matter what type of creative work you want to do.
0: So you mentioned with the Darth Vader short story that you wrote for stories of Jedi and Sith. Did you run into any instances where you had to like revise anything?
1: Yep, they didn't like my first pitch. (laughs) It was too dark. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's one of the greatest achievements of my writing life. Um, Yeah, you know, it's funny. Disney has let me go darker than Star Wars, which surprised me on the face of it. Because to me, Star Wars is a darker universe. Star Wars is actually dystopian. People get killed and maimed and even arms cut off, right? Even if we just go back to the original Star Wars film, right? And it's pretty violent. Yeah. And- Darth Vader, you know, Anakin's descent, right? I mean, he kills children, Padawan. So there is real darkness there. So it was interesting to me to find out that they were more, um, I guess, concerned about that aspect in terms of the brand. So, and I had been tasked with making Vader scary, and make, basically doing for Vader what I've done for the Disney villains because I've been credited with making them genuinely terrifying again. And so I did have to pull back on that a little bit, but I'm very happy with where the story ended up. And typically with Star Wars, there is a lot of off-limits stuff that you can't touch that is pure canon. And I think anyone who's worked in this, even um, in any of the arenas, will tell you that that's the case. And it does relate to what we're talking about. And, you know, with Vader, Vader is particularly hard. Why? Because so much has been done with him and so much is being done with him. So it's actually far easier to write a quote High Republic book. Why? Because you're just kind of creating new stuff. So you get a lot more leeway or to write more, you know, what I'm going to call secondary characters who haven't had a lot of screen time because we are in that. And so you get a lot more permission to do a lot and also to craft new ground with him but darth vader is the main character of star wars he is the most important character of star wars he is actually for that reason a lot harder to write because any little thing could completely topple everything and if you are a fan like us you've probably seen kenobi so you are aware that he is back and back in a very big way in terms of what they're doing and i would anticipate and i don't have knowledge guys I don't have fan knowledge i'm just saying i would anticipate that vader is going to continue to be quite significant to what they're going to do in the future and i hope so because i love him He's my
0: favorite oh, yeah, and, and i love the way he was portrayed in kenobi like that the portrayal of vader in that was fantastic
1: And that's the Vader I wrote in my short story. I wrote that specific era of Vader and I wrote that Vader. So it was kind of funny, I guess, just working because different brands are different. And so this isn't a knock on Star Wars. I think they do a great job managing their brand. It's just that I was very surprised on the surface at how dark Disney has let me go consistently and still is up until Once Upon a Scream. My Maleficent book just came out and I think it's the most dark and horrible ending yet of six books. So that's just on the surface surprised me because if you'd asked me I would say oh Disney is lighter and more family oriented Star Wars is a darker universe but in terms of the brand management I found it a little bit different. And that's okay as well. Um it was a dream of mine to write something for Star Wars so I'm so thrilled they brought me on board and I have no complaints and I'm highly collaborative. So a lot of the process especially working with IP it's collaborative by nature. You're going back and forth. They have great editors, they have great folks on the side and I think that's makes your work better in the end is being able to do all of that kind of stuff so no complaints at all it's just a normal part of the process i just thought it was funny at the time where they're like too dark too dark (laughs) (laughs) i was like i am beer (laughs) strange y'all
0: hello the name
1: (laughs) yeah
0: no i think it's interesting the first time i heard about like something being having to be rewritten because of canon with star wars was it was when i believe it was episode eight or nine they had like all the um, books that were coming up to that point. And it was like leading up to this movie. And this specific book had apparently half of it took place on the same planet that was going to be in the movie. And they had to go to the author and be like, hi, you have to rewrite the whole book, basically. So <laughs> he had to rewrite two thirds of the book completely because it was going to counteract what was happening in the movie, which was going to be released like nine months down the road. So no one oh. knew what was happening in the movie. And so it's like, oh. there's so many people involved in playing all these different parts. It's just, it's, I don't know how they keep it straight, but they keep it straight and it's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's important. I know at one point all the Delray books was at Delray where were. Con- declared not canon is that right that yeah, earlier um, Star Wars stuff was because uh, there's like a whole Han Solo backstory where he was raised by Wookiees I don't think any of that's canon
0: every, every, all the legend is not canon there so they basically took out and um said so the, they said legend is not canon so now it's the new canon quote-unquote or the Disney canon right. uh, which, like even in that there's so many books like oh my word I I, well, I want to say we're at like around 70 at this point
1: yeah and you know and I think you know Disney has a similar situation going on which is that they're spanning live action animated we could talk I just wrote Maleficent we could talk about that there's a lot going on with her there's another movie coming I believe and they have tv shows and other programming as well so it's a similar thing where they're trying to manage all of this and keep it consistent and it's important because these characters are iconic and carry the flagship of whatever the property is so it's been just really thrilling though for me to be able to work with these iconic characters that i can't even believe i get to touch i like, can't so, even believe it. it's so crazy
0: which one has your, been your favorite so far
1: my favorite in terms of what in terms of the one i love the most the one that was the most fun to write like or they're all different
0: the most fun to write but,
1: you know i get given all the villains it's gonna go oh. on like my tombstone like she wrote all the villains She's dark and creepy. She wrote all the villains. They won't let me touch like the princesses. No princess Leia. <laughs> Either. They're like, they're like, we're giving you Vader. <laughs> um, so writing Vader, Vader is fueled by anger, and I tend to. So I was really angry when I was writing Vader for a couple weeks. I was drafting that story; it was just like very on edge because because that's his core, right? He and yeah. he carries that, and he uses it as what powers him as well, right? Given to your hatred, your you know the dark side. um So I won't say he was fun to write. He's fun because he's like such a diva and he's so emo and dramatic. I was like, dude, where's the cape? Like he prances around in my story. He's still, he's solo missioning like he goes solo on missions like he's a blast in like so many ways he's the king of the backhanded like he loves the put down the vader put down is so great he likes to force strangle people he's quite murdery he enjoys murder as we saw in kenobi and i think when kenobi came out that's why i was laughing extra hard at they told me my story was too dark because i was like are you kidding me look at vader look at him go i was like what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, But the favorite to write just on a nuts and bolts character level was probably Hades. Hades was so fun. And I, you know, I love the Hercules movie, which I feel gets overlooked sometimes because it came out with Lion King.
0: Yeah. Well, it has right now. It's the main anniversary for it.
1: I know. And they're doing a new Hercules movie, I believe with Tom Hiddleston who I, you know, I love his Loki. I love Tom, um, which is part of, I think why we did the book with Hades at the time. And, uh, his voicing by James Woods is so great, but what I love about it's like a used car salesman, but he's like the, the, the ruler of the underworld. So it's like, he's funny. Like the way he talks is hilarious. I also got to write pain and panic who are funny, and so I think it was just the humor and one of the great things I I love Greek mythology so that was another aspect but you know Hades isn't evil or anything he's just mad at his brother it's Greek tragedy he's like yo my brother's my brother's a dickhead and he put me in the underworld and you know I just want to be back on Mount Olympus and you know he's not trying to hurt humans but he's like you know this is god stuff he's like if I can manipulate them or use them that's cool which is very much how the gods in Greek mythology operate but he's not like evil like let me go like be evil he's just like yeah I got to do some god stuff and you know my brother's annoying and you know I'm Hades and what's up and I want to get out of here so he was just really fun to write for like a lot of reasons including that his head explodes and catches on fire when he gets angry like I, there's nothing I don't love about Hades my least favorite to write was Corella, just because she's too dark and terrible even for me and I think that's the darkest of the series Because she's she wants to murder puppies, guys. I don't know how else to tell you. Her name is like Cruel Devil, Cruella Deville. They're not like Cruella
0: Deville is one of my all time favorite villains.
1: She's great, but she she's like John Wick on crack. She's like, I was like in John Wick, they kill one puppy and somehow got three revenge movies. I was like, Corella wants to kill 101 puppies so she can look fashionable, guys. That's that's her. But um, Disney wants you to know no puppies were harmed in the making of my book. No puppies were harmed in making my book. I was like, you you are aware of Corella. Okay. Um that's why she's great, but she is of all of the Disney villains. I think she's the most, I'm gonna just say, Terrible dark. I I don't know how else to say it, but that is part of what makes her great. But she's writing, inhabiting her headspace was not fun because it is that dark. Whereas Hades is just kind of a blast. And Maleficent is fun, like she's actually really fun. Yeah, she's the most powerful of the villains. She's my favorite of the Disney villains. Um, but she has a really fun aura to her. She's a dark fairy um you know she to me she she's just so wonderful and I think the new book Once Upon a Scream is my favorite of the series I think it's probably the best so far but part of that is because you know it's Maleficent it's a bit longer she needed more pages And I'm glad we saved her for book six and could really set the series because I wanted to do her justice. And I was a little nervous as I was nervous to write Darth Vader, nervous to write Maleficent because Vader and Maleficent are basically two of my favorite villains of all time. And I think in Star Wars, there's no greater character than than Anakin Skywalker.
0: Yeah. So with the series, are do you have to read the series and like, is it more appreciated to read them in order do they build off of each other or is it complete standalones
1: they're complete standalones Some of the things I love about Disney chills and that's very different from Serena Valentino's villain series which I also love and Serena is massively talented I just did an Instagram live with her my series is anthology style so each book is totally different villain totally different main character totally different setting and world and they can be read in any order which I think is kind of great and, you know, different people have different villains they love or are most excited about. But I always say this, like, bless Star Wars, but Disney has the best villains of all time. Like, if you take all the villains and group them, Disney has the best. And they all have incredible personalities. The voice actors who have brought them to life are some of the best in the business. I know we just lost Pat Carroll. And is there anything more iconic than Ursula? I mean, she wears makeup underwater. She's a sea witch. She's basically a drag queen of some sort. (laughs) You know, like she's just so fabulous. I I don't even know how else to describe her. I was so excited and I picked her first because she's freaking Ursula. So... It's so fun to be able to craft the different books, and I take the ether, the villain. So each one is different. And I like that because I remember being a kid where they would have series, because this is before ebooks and stuff. But I say if the Kindle reader was around as a kid, I would have bankrupted my parents' reading. Um, but you would go to the store, and they would be missing books. They might have books. Two and then five and then seven, eight, nine. And as a kid, it was so challenging because you you couldn't just read certain series out of order, of course. So that's why I love Nancy Drew because in the Hardy Boys, because you can read them in any order, it doesn't matter really. And so it wouldn't. I mean, I'd still be annoyed they didn't have certain ones, but you could just get a different one and read it. And so Disney Chills is very much like that. And I know readers who have come in from the beginning with the first book, and I know readers who have come in on different books. And I'm feeling Once Upon a Screen because because maleficent has such a huge fan base people will come in on that but what's fun then if you like it is that there's this discovery of being able to go back and just read them and different folks have different favorite books i mean i can tell you what my favorites are and why but different readers i would say it tells you a lot about the reader what villains are favorite or what book and it really depends it's subjective right and that's what's fun about it is there's not really a right or wrong it's just whatever floats your boat or gets you the most excited You know, so some people, Cruella is their favorite, and they love that book the most. Some folks, it's Hades, right? And, you know, I have a feeling that the new one, Once Upon a Screen, quite a few of my readers have said it's the best and their favorite. I think book seven, which I've secretly written, well, not secretly, but it's into my editor, and I haven't said who the villain is, is my favorite. But my favorite is usually the book I just wrote.
0: So uh, who is the villain?
1: I can't say. It's a really good one. We do tend to alternate male to female. So there's some clue there. But there are quite a few villains I haven't done that I really want to do still. So I would say that this one ended up being more fun than I even thought this one would be. I really like the scenario I crafted. And I think he might surprise some people like who I chose or who we chose. But I think fans and readers are going to be delighted by it. And I'm just excited for when we get to announce it. And hopefully my editor loves it. The draft is in. I haven't gotten my notes back. Um, That will be book seven. I'm just amazed that we got all the way to seven books. We've had like six books out in two years. It's crazy. So I hope I get more books though, because I just have other villains like Evil Queen. Like there's so many ones I haven't even done yet that I think would be so much fun. Like Mother Gothel from Tangled would be a blast. She's super creepy. The Queen of Hearts is kind of special. I I could just keep writing them just because they have such a deep canon of amazing villains.
0: And there's so many villains to choose from. Like there's no shortage.
1: (laughs) You can't go wrong. That's the thing. And that's why I tell folks. I'm like, the thing is you really can't go wrong. They're all great. And they're all great in their own ways.
0: Yeah. So do you feel like with writing the first one to now you're writing the seventh one, The style in the sense of like maybe the darkness of them has changed at all? Or is it just very dependent on the villain you're writing?
1: The style of the books has kind of been set from the beginning and sort of how it goes. Newsflash, it's never a good thing to encounter a Disney villain in real life. It's usually not going to turn out real good for you. Uh, Each book has a dark and terrible ending. It's unhappily ever after which I think really shocked people because the first book a lot of people were like it's gonna be okay it's Disney it's gonna be okay (laughs) Shelly's gonna get out of this it's gonna be all right and then when they get to the end they're like what (laughs) oh okay and I'm like yeah the villains always. are we
0: missing a chapter here what's going on
1: (laughs) there's a whole fan series I think called chills rescue where someone's taken other characters and have them go back and like rescue the kids I get all these fan mail and people are like can you write a sequel so we know what happens to all these kids that you've like destroyed and I have this other fan I think he messaged today where he's like I just finished it wow what's the terrible thing that's gonna happen to the kid in book seven and he's like by my calculation, only one or two have made it out alive. Like, <laughs> So uh, that's part of the fun of the series. Um, but each book, like where I set it and the ether of it, I take from the original Disney film and it's determined by the villain and also the theme. So for example, of course, the Cruella one is about being fashionable. It's about social media pressure and feeling like you have to constantly post to get with your friends. And you have to look perfect in every picture. There's a social media app in the book called Pick Perfect. Essentially like an Instagram. Yeah. But you know, if we're writing about Corella, isn't that of course what we're gonna write about? Because she's a fashionista, right? That's obviously the thing with her. And the coat is the thing with Corella. And so, like I said, that kind of determines and that one's set in Chicago and in a more urban setting, because to me, Corella is urban. I think the original is London and it speaks to that versus. You know, I sat once upon a scream in the countryside in the South because, you know, a lot of what goes on with Aurora, we're in the woods, we're in the country. And so, of course, Captain Hook takes place in New England. There's a pirate ship at a maritime museum, you know, but rocky cliff sides, things that speak pirate to me. So, Each series, um, the book in in the series, they kind of are all different and I kind of go back to the original film and try to channel that into how can I set that in a contemporary way.
0: I like the way that you're taking the villain from the movie and using the same characteristics and using that as the groundwork to then build up on the villain and the morality of this villain and not taking an entirely new twist, but building off of the character that's already been established in the fandom.
1: Yeah, I mean, because, you know, typically in stories and every lot of stuff, they're allegorical, they're representative of something. A villain is usually the embodiment of an idea. Yeah in form of, and you create an antagonist that kind of embodies this idea or this concept. And so for me, I'm always thematically looking at what is the story really about?
0: Well, thank you so much for being on this episode. It was, it was wonderful to have you.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Josh. I could talk to you forever. You're so fun to talk to.
0: (laughs) You too. I know we've been rambling for just a little bit. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I really hope you enjoyed the interview with Jennifer Brody, AKA Vera Strange. Even though this episode is only about 38 minutes, the actual interview lasted for over an hour and a half. I had such a wonderful time just chatting with Jennifer. It was so much fun. I will eventually be posting the second half to this interview because it wasn't really an interview at that point. It was more of a conversation, fans talking about Star Wars and all sorts of different things. So I will be eventually post that. In the meantime, you can find the full extended version on my Patreon. So if you wish to join that, feel free. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe because I can assure you you're not going to want to miss the next episode where I get to interview Kevin Scott. He is the author of many Star Wars novels and Doctor Who novels and comics and all sorts of things. You are going to love this interview. I hope you love it as much as I do. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.